Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador, and thank you for making me and us a part of whatever you're doing right now. If you like this episode, please do subscribe. I have an exciting, passionate guest today. His name is Gary Ramsey. When Gary's near-fatal cancer struck in the summer of 2015, there were a few options available to him. His entire reality was uprooted and tossed into yet another more perplexing and mystifying one. Due to his firm resilience and ability to follow his heart, Gary slowly emerged from this grim situation into a world far greater than the one he had previously known. He now stands firm in the belief that within our own self lies the wisdom with which we shall achieve our greatest glory here on earth. Gary Ramsey is an Alexander technique and voice teacher. Oh my gosh, I better be careful what I say. In New York City, he has written a book based on his career experience called Bliss, One Hero's Journey. He now helps those who are facing their own life and death challenges. This is his story and this is his passion. Gary Ramsey, welcome to Passion Harvest. Oh, thank you so much, Louisa. I'm so thrilled to be here. Welcome, welcome. I know um, for many years you were, a, you were an opera singer as well. Yes, that's correct. Uh, I started uh, singing opera actually because of my training as an Alexander teacher. Um, so I had gotten involved in opera singing and was doing quite well. And then uh, life was going along beautifully. I was singing in Europe. I was singing here in America. And then I got struck with this uh, rather unusual cancer situation. Um, so at the day of my diagnosis, my doctors were actually shocked. I was still alive. They said, usually people like you are already dead and they usually die of an aneurysm or a um, embolism. And they said, uh, and we really uh, don't know what to say to you. And I said, well, what can we do? And they said, well, that's the bad news. <laughs> and I was like, that's bad, the bad news. And they said, yeah, um, these operations are extremely dangerous. Your tumor is going up towards your heart. Um, they said, we feel that the minute we attempt to do anything, you will, uh, you will die. So um, that was what I was left with on my day of diagnosis. Wow. So they just went straight to it. No, no fluffing or beating around the bush, right? No, no. And I have to say that was really the blessing. That was a complete blessing because there was something about being faced with the reality of dying in that moment. And then, you know, they had all this proof and, the, and they showed me everything on charts and on the, you know, the tests and on the, the scans, they showed me everything. And um, what it did was it really pressed me. I, 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 in that moment, I just had to surrender. It was really the most shocking thing. I, I didn't feel that ill. I knew there was something wrong at that point, but I didn't feel that bad or that ill to be told that I'm going to die at any minute. And that began my journey. 
right there in that office. And uh, I knew immediately, uh, I I got very quiet. And I think that's part of my Alexander work. For those that don't know about Alexander, it's about using the mind and the body in relationship to have a more efficient and more conscious control over yourself and your environment. And so uh, all of a sudden, it just blurted out of me. I said, could I have all of those test results? And the doctor was like, well, sure. I mean, yeah. He said, um, I mean, there's not much you're going to be able to do with them and we'll always send them from the office, but I'll give you a copy. So he did. And even I was kind of like, why did I ask for that? Do you mind sharing and, what your cancer was, if, if, if you feel comfortable with that? Oh, sure. It was renal cell cancer, which was really not a problem, but it was the tumor. Uh, bra- there was a branching tumor and one of the branches was going through through the, the kidney, up the renal vein, and toward the heart. That was the, um, that was the tumor that was problematic. Mm-hmm. So that was the diagnosis. And, and you, I mean, I, I don't even want to think about it, but just in that moment, the, the surrendering, because you had really no choice. You accepted. I had no choice. Yep. I and what accepted. did that, that surrendering feel like? You know, in the office, I, 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 after I got my test, I needed to be out of there. I needed to be away from there. It was almost like it was representing death, which is exactly where I got the death sentence. Once I got outside, though, I had, it was like taking a breath like I had never taken before. It was a beautiful day. And I remember I was just, I was just struck. And I walked to this gorgeous little parkway. And um, I saw all these little children playing in this little park that was there. They had this little, you know, playground and these mothers and these fathers and these people walking. And believe it or not, I had this realization at that moment. I thought, oh my God, anyone in this park could die at any minute. And the only difference between me and them is I have all this information that proves to me that it's going to be me and they don't. And that was like revelatory. I mean, literally I, and even though it's kind of a simple concept, it hit me in such a profound way that I just had to sit down and I was watching everything. And I just became immersed in this very blissful state, this very blissful, calm, state of beingness and then what woke me up out of that was uh the name anita morjani and uh you're familiar with anita yes, yes. she's and wonderful. so for you for your for your viewers that are not i was a big fan of anita morjani who wrote a book called dying to be me and she had written it about three years prior to my um diagnosis And I had given it to people because she was a woman who was on her deathbed in a cancer hospital, dying of end-stage cancer, stage four B lymphoma. And she was in a coma. They had given her something like 45 minutes left to live. Her family was gathered around her and she came out of her coma and knew that she was going to recover. And um, she had them eventually take everything out of her, all her life support. 
And Anita's cancer started to disappear while in that cancer hospital at a record pace. And she had had a near-death experience in her coma where she realized the power that we actually have within our own being to heal ourselves. And her, and I'm, I'm giving you the shortened version. I mean, it goes on, it's a, it's a beautiful book. But all of a sudden I was awoken by her story and I thought, oh my God, Anita, if, if, she, <laughs> if she could be on her deathbed and only weigh like 80 pounds covered with tumors, I'm doing better than that. I thought maybe there's something for me. And that was really my moment of moving to what I will call this unbelievable synchronistic uh, action that started to unfold on my journey. And uh, it started almost immediately after that. I, of course, had to call people. Um, when I got home, it came to me um, about Vera uh, uh, Fawcett was another thing that came into my mind. And I remembered they had taken her to Germany before her death. And a friend had told me that Germany had some of the top cutting edge treatments for cancer. So I decided, oh my gosh, why don't I go up? I'll research Germany. Maybe Germany has something that America doesn't have. So sure enough, I got on the computer and I find this unbelievable clinic in Mexico, which just popped up on the side of my screen while I'm you know, researching Germany. And um, I looked at it and I thought it was the most beautiful place. And then I found out it was a hospital. And then I found out that they dealt with cancers. And then I found out they dealt with difficult cancers. And I was blown away, so blown away I had to call. And sure enough, I called um, and the, uh, their representative I started discussing you know, what was going on and the representative said, oh my goodness, we do deal with these deadly tumors. And I said, well, I, I've heard they're very rare. And they said, yes, they are. And um, in the United States, they don't have a very good percentage. Uh, the people that recover from these is very, very low. I said, yeah, they told me. Like mine is so bad, like I have no chance. Zero. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, they said, yes, uh, we know about that. We can't guarantee, but we have a very, very different therapy that they do prior to surgery to prevent any fracturing of the tumor. Because if the tumor had con gone apart or they weren't able to get the whole piece of the tumor, that's what would have gone up to my heart and killed me. So I said, oh my God, this is amazing. I think I really want to try this. And they said, well, that's great, but we have to register you and you know we we need to move fast they said do you have your medical records and i went yes yes as a matter of fact i took them from so the you doctor. were ready to fight for your life you definitely wanted to live you know i i i've got to say honestly i can't say that i did want to fight i was going from a deeper sense of myself and i thought and the one thing i knew is why am I going to sit here and just wait for death to come? Why don't I do something and keep myself occupied? Why don't I live more fully until that moment? I can't tell you, because to be honest, and I even wrote this in my book, 
I didn't think I was really going to survive. Oh, I really? Because really, we talk about the power of, you know, the, the, the thought and the mind yes. and consciousness. So of which I'm think- a big advocate. I'm a big advocate. But a little like Anita, Anita didn't think she was going to survive until she had her near-death experience. I did not really think I was going to survive it, but I was going to go down not being a victim. I was not going to be a victim. I was not going to be running around and screaming and crying. I was going to remain active and do the best I could until the moment arrived. And that was really how I did proceed. So, um, you know, so she, she, you know, the person just said, oh my God, you have these tests. That's wonderful. You know, she's, she said, because we really don't want to waste time. I said, yes, because I don't have You it. don't have much left. <laughs> I don't have much left at all. And so everything accelerated from that point. And I could go through event after event, but basically what happened is everything became synchronistic. Just when I needed something, it appeared. Just when something had to happen, it occurred. Um, the hospital, uh, or really they call themselves a clinic in Mexico. They, uh, their name, by the way, is Son of Eve, Son of Eve uh, uh, in, in Mexico. They had um, everything laid out. They then looked at my records and they said, yes, we think we can help you. We cannot guarantee. Uh, and the only stipulation was I had to have a family representative there for the operation not prior to the operation, before the operation, they said, because, you know, it is, it is pretty deadly. And um, though we feel we can help you, we cannot guarantee that. So that was the only stipulation. Uh, I got a family member to come with me, my sister, who accompanied me uh, for the operation. And it was an absolute roaring success. And that was my... I feel like saying congratulations, but I don't know if that's the right word to... (laughs) to The right terminology to use. Terminology, because um, in the clinic, they do not believe, really, they don't... Well, they, they understand disease, but they don't believe in really giving the disease a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. What they give attention to is health. Uh, as a matter of fact, they never call you a patient. You're always a guest. You're never a patient. Love that. Um, you are never treated in any way as though you have a problem. Um, anything that you can do, you're accommodated. Anything you cannot do uh, is also accommodated. Um, of course, it's all about holistic. It's all, but they also do Western techniques, uh, including my surgery, was, which was a Western, which is what would have been done here in the States. Okay, but it's but integrated problem, with a holistic so, approach, alternative and, medicine. Correct. And I would not have been prepared for the surgery. In the States, they would have simply done the surgery. And as my doctor said here in the States, they said, you probably will not survive the surgery. They said, it's, it's, you probably have one of the most lethal of these kind of tumors. Um, but uh, they prepared it and uh, the tumor responded beautifully. I, they also accredited my work uh, as an Alexander person. They said, you're really good with your body. You're really good with thinking. You've got to keep that up. You've got to keep up the work. You've got to keep up your spirits. You cannot allow the cancer to overwhelm you. 
And I was like, well, I won't because <laughs> you know, so far it's been going pretty well. And I think it was that that actually put me over the hurdle. They even commented later, they said, this is probably one of the most successful uh, examples with your tumor being as deadly as it is. We would say that this is probably one of the most successful of anyone that we have done thus far. And it went incredibly well. Um, they also uh, did holistic treatments for my after treatments. So I'm one of the few cancer people. I wasn't treated with chemo or radiation ever. So anyway, and then I was treated with a, ser a serum made of my own tumor, which actually made me immune for that cancer to ever metastasize or to in any way ever recur. So I'm literally in Mexico, I am deemed cured. But in uh, the United States, of course, I'm deemed uh, in remission, in remission. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely an amazing story. And you also talk about invisible, invisible beings that helped you on your healing process. Do you mind describing that? Well, uh, the one that first came in very clearly was my grandmother, who had um, died very young uh, when I was very young. And she was also pretty young. And um, there, was a, there was a presence of her. There was an essence of her that kept coming through and coming through. And then at one crucial point, uh, she came up in several therapies. So one of my first appointments actually was a therapy session with a, a psychologist. In Mexico. In, in Mexico. And the first thing we wanted to talk about was death. He wanted to talk about death and what my experiences of death were. And of course, my very first experience of death was my grandmother passing when I was seven years old. That um, was a profound, profound uh, discussion. And that in and of itself was probably already healing. I felt healed at the end of that discussion. And um, I had, I had never really um, touched the depth of that, uh, what, what had happened with my grandmother and myself, who I adored uh, as such a small child, and I think had compartmentalized and suppressed most of my life. And then um, not long after that, she came to me in a dream. And it was one of those dreams, you know, that they're so real that, you think it's really happening. Well, it actually is, but that's a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother discussion. But, you know, it was one of those where I woke up and remembered it so vividly and it still felt real when I woke up. And we had gone off. Um, and on our journey, I knew that she was giving me a message. She was sending me something. But then uh, we ended up with my father who had passed and my aunt, her daughter, who had passed, and she. And all, all these three dead people were celebrating around me. And I remember thinking in the dream that this was odd. Why are they celebrating? And then it occurred to me that I'm going to be dying. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm really going to be dying. And then I thought, well, no, wait. That didn't quite feel right. But yet... My, I was kind of torn. And when I woke up, I was still kind of torn. I forgot about the dream. And then I had the same dream again, shortly after that. So 
the presence of my grandmother was really one of the key spirits. And in that second dream, it had gone a little further. And then I was convinced that I was going to die. And I was prepared for it. And I thought, wow, this, this isn't going to work. I had been hopeful. And then I thought, mm, I don't think it's going to work. So um, that led to a whole series of things. And my sister was there. And I finally felt like I needed to discuss that with her. Because I, I, wanted, I didn't want people to be in shock or in grief, in enormous grief. I wanted them to know that if I did die, I was going to be okay with this. And I felt like my grandmother and my father and my aunt had prepared me for that. And then um, things did get very bad, actually, just before the surgery. Um, my blood counts got extremely weakened. Um, and you have to remember with uh, holistic therapies, they're kind of gauging when the body is ready to be invaded by a surgery. And they're, of course, trying to get things to the point where they're not going to kill me in this surgery. And there was a, very, there was a window that they were looking for. And the day of the surgery, they finally found the window and they knew they better go for it. And they went for it very quickly. Um, and then when we got in there, uh, everything was fine. But then when I, I came into recovery, I didn't think I was in recovery. I thought I was dead. And the reason I thought I was dead Gosh. is because my grandmother was there. <laughs> Again, what a... <laughs> Except this time... I really thought I was really seeing her like really like it was all real. And, um, and then I realized that it all was real, except how could she be there? Because she's dead. Past, yeah. Right. So that's, uh, that was one of the more startling parts. So I was convinced then that I must be dead because that's why this is happening. And that this is some sort of waiting room into the next dimension or... Heaven or, or whatever it might be. I had no idea. And I'm sure the drugs from surgery were very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> because, I, I, you know, I certainly was very drugged up. And of course, then once I made the realization, uh, she was giving me messages as well, uh, most of which I couldn't understand. And that was also puzzling to me because I thought, oh my God, why can't I understand her? And then um, with that, when I realized, oh no, this is real and I'm not in another dimension and there was another man there. And once I called out to him and he answered me finally, um, she disappeared. She was gone. She, she had been there for what seemed to be an enormously long time. What maybe but yes, watching over me, but that uh, she was then gone. And that was, uh, believe it or not, I was once again euphoric. I was euphoric when I, when I thought I was dead. I was euphoric when I realized it was her. And then I was euphoric when I realized I was not dead. <laughs> it was all one big <laughs> euphoria <laughs> that just kept occurring in that state. I mean, your attitude is unbelievably positive it is really unbelievably positive and you know so many people pass of cancer if people are watching this and have cancer they might say why you what was what was what was fundamentally different obviously you went to mexico and you had this holistic approach but what was fundamentally different from a um 
emotional and psychological perspective that I'd you think say, help? I think that the two main key components were my work as an Alexander teacher because it talks about getting more control over the fear reflexes in the body. And then Anita's journey, which is really what she realized was a sense of fearlessness. What she learned in her death experience was that she had been so fearful all of her life mm -hmm. and that to move forward in fearlessness is one of the greatest acts that we can all do as, as heroes on our own journey. We are all heroes on our journey, whatever we are facing, whether it takes the form of disease or um, you know, financial or emotional or the death of someone else, it's irrelevant. We are heroes and having fearlessness on that journey, I think is one of the key components and that's really how I work with people now who do have cancer and who contact me through my book. We really work on that aspect because I am no longer in the belief that the treatment, although there are treatments that are very helpful, I will never tell anyone one treatment is better than another. I will never. What I will tell them is what treatment makes you feel more fearless, what treatment makes you feel more empowered in your healing. That's the key treatment. That's what you need to be doing. What doctor, what person, what, what place, what facility. I don't really believe it's that though. I believe it's what empowers and gives the, the person who is afflicted their, uh, the, it makes them whole yeah. in a state of fearlessness. It's so beautiful you say that. I'm actually doing a talk on this tomorrow, but fear is the opposite of love. And, you know, yes. fear is terrifying, but once we um, are vulnerable and once we overcome our fears, it's the most empowering thing ever. And I think there's a quote, and I, don't, I can't remember who wrote it, but um, when you face your fears, the death of fear is certain. And Absolutely. Yes. Go ahead. No, well, I'm just saying, you know, so many people uh, live a liveless life or half a life lived with fear. And I always say fear is the destroyer of dreams in every capacity. And Absolutely. It, it's just interesting that you brought that up. Fear is the opposite of love. And I, I think fundamentally in our lives, everyone's searching for love. Everyone's searching for love, but they're searching for love externally. So, mm -hmm. and, 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 and to make them happy, whether it's a lover or a friend or a colleague, um, appreciation, but we have to realize that the love is found within inside ourselves ultimately, because that's going to bring us the most joy. The funny thing is we all, all of us, because what else is love, but we all crave for love. Absolutely. But it's also the thing we're utterly terrified of. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's funny. I mean, you've got to laugh. <laughs> You have to laugh. You have to laugh. It's really true. And, and I, I, once I, I was in that state, and I will say one of the more also, I, I should add one little more addendum. I really conquered my fear of death. I, in, and thank God for that diagnosis. I really came to grips with death. I came to grips with my grandmother's death. I came to grips with 
all the things I had harbored about death and had seen death as this terrible beast that had ripped my grandmother away from me as a small child, of course. And then I realized that, no, death is not at all like that. Death is something that is a natural process of life and that if we can honor it, it loses its power over us. And then we can actually live life more fully. As you had mentioned, we can participate in a much deeper way and we can open ourselves up to the things that we would have never opened ourselves up to before. And so that was my saving grace. That's and yes. that I mean, really I, I get the questions all the time and people are so afraid of death. And obviously your experiences alleviated all your fears of death but from your personal experience what do you think happens when we die i guess you're seeing your grandmother and various family members what are your thoughts on when we die you know as we know from science energy can neither be created nor destroyed so i believe that the energy of what keeps our systems going right? Uh, whatever you want to call that, if people like to attach the word of soul to it or God to it or whatever word they like to attach to it, whatever that is, I believe like the ocean, it merges back into the whole. And I know from Anita uh, in her book, she talks about that, that it felt like she was in, enveloped in a world that was completely, uh, she talks about it as being one big tapestry and that she was uh, one of the weaves in the tapestry, going through the tapestry. And she was both an individual, but yet she was part of the greater whole simultaneously. And she felt no real separation with anything. Mm -hmm. And I will only say that when I had the dream about my grandmother, and then when I had the experience of her in the um, uh, recovery room, that I felt a sense of that. I won't say I felt what Anita felt, but I felt a sense of belonging, of some kind of perfection taking place and that I didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to be concerned about anything. There was no care. There was no uh, fear. There was no fear. And, and so I hit this state of euphoria, even though I thought I was really dead, I hit this euphoric state. And then when I realized I was alive, I, I stayed in this euphoric state. It didn't really change. It just kind of transferred. And it was like, I was looking at my grandmother over there and realizing that she can't really be there. This is, I was, remember I went through a whole journey on this, but I finally realized she can't really be there if, if that guy over there is real, she can't be. But then it was when I actually spoke to him. I was terribly thirsty and I spoke to him. And when he spoke back to me, it was like I, I zoomed more into this reality. And when I looked back, she was gone. Mm. She was just not there anymore. And I thought, oh my God, oh my God. It's like I stepped out of one thing into another. And Anita really spoke about that same thing, except she really came back. I mean, she, her organs were failing. My organs were never failing, but hers were failing. And um, she literally, all of a sudden, her vital signs all started to come back. She literally brought life back into her body and all of it started to reverse, which was 
astounding. She though jokes me and she says, yeah, but I had to almost die to do it. You didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> what an I inspiration she's been to you. It's amazing. Yes. It's a beautiful, uh, and anybody who doesn't really know that book, they should really look at it. Anybody who's faced it. And yours as well. Uh, that, yes, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. What I mean, you've described it beautifully. What a lot of people don't realize, you can call it different astral planes, different layers of consciousness. As people think when they connect with the spirit world, it's some far off universe where in fact, it's a different vibratory level, which is exactly right here. It's here. Yes. Exactly. And I think and you explained it or gave a beautiful demonstration that your grandmother was there. She's always there. It's just vibrating at that level to see them. Right. And all of it. And then you just come in and out. And mm. then I understood like mediums and psychics or things like that. People who can see energy. I all of a sudden understood. Oh yeah. You tap into that vibration and all of a sudden you can see just like people, you know, who see, um, uh, sound in color or color in sound that they just have a special mechanism in the in the system that allows them to do that and as all of us we all have special gifts that we tap in and I think the only reason I tapped in is because I was at a very crucial uh, you know a, a place in in my uh, journey and so I just was at a heightened state and was mm. able just to tap in well, you had so, a massive emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual shock, and it was definitely a spiritually transformative experience for you. That, exactly. That's for sure. I have to ask you, do you ever see your grandmother? Um, have you seen her lately, or do you ever see her since that time in the hospital? I will honestly say I feel her, mm -hmm. but I have not seen her as vividly and as clearly as I had in those dreams or in that, in that recovery room. So, uh, but I do feel her presence. And uh, again, as I was writing the book, as I do different things in my life that uh, I can feel a sense of her. But no, I have never seen her as clearly as that moment. Well, that's okay. The, feel, the, feeling is, the feeling is just as good and you have to trust yourself. I've got, I've got a few more questions for you. <laughs> my mind's sure, just ticking sure. now. Um, oh, good. Do you, <laughs> do you feel that uh, you were saved or you saved yourself? I think both. Okay. I think both were participating, that there was an energy helping to save me and I was helping to save myself. And you know, it's so funny. That's kind of how Sanaviv even stated it. They, they said, we cannot heal you alone. Mm. No matter what, no matter how good we are, no matter what we have, no matter how magical it is, we cannot do it unless you are also with it. And so I was with it to the best of my ability. And even when I had the feeling that I wasn't going to make it, uh, shortly before the surgery especially, um, I was still going to keep going and I was going to do the very best up until the end. I was going to do it like Custard's Last Stand. I was going to do it until the end. And, uh, and it worked. It was like there was just a moment of, of, of opportunity. And even the surgeon said, we went in at exactly the right time. And your body was exactly where it needed to be. He said it was, it was so 
it was one of the easiest surgeries of this kind of tumor he had ever done. And he was amazed. But he really attributed me. I congratulated him and he congratulated me. <laughs> so it was definitely like a co-creative experience. Absolutely. So everybody was working to save, you know, I was working to save me and they were working to save me and we all, we were all successful in the end. Another question, there's many theories or beliefs about this. They talk about dis disease or dis-ease within the body. Do you feel that in some capacity or some way we create these diseases? I, I will speak for myself and say, absolutely. I okay. absolutely created this. Um, I also know that in, historically in my medical background, when I get uh, ill, I get very ill. Like it's not just a simple thing, it's a major thing. Uh, even when I was 15 years old, they thought I had the flu. I actually had, I was rupturing my appendix. Um, so it's usually with me, these things are uh, bizarre and very strange and very, um, I'll say, veiled. Uh, and I know that's, that's part of my persona and that's part of how I am as a person. I know definitely, um, going back to my opera career, uh, I was juggling both an opera career, a teaching career, and it was, it was very difficult. And I didn't want to disappoint anyone. And I know I was burning the candle at both ends there, especially when I got a certain amount of notoriety in opera, and I didn't want to disappoint. <clears throat> so I kept working very hard not to do that, and I, I, I know I was pushing myself. And I know that's where the cancer actually came from. That's where it actually, you know, arose from. Also, the kidneys are representative of fear. And I think um, in my background, I was raised with a tremendous amount of fear, losing my grandmother early. There were many, many, many difficulties in my childhood right after her death, actually. And fear was a very, um, I was brought up in fear. I was brought up with fear. Uh, and... I know that that was now the point in time that I needed to heal this. And so I think that beautiful kidney tumor, cancer, cancer, kidney, cancer, <laughs> tumor. The beautiful one. Um, I mean, forget that, but the beautiful <laughs> adjective of beautiful. I love it how you describe it. <laughs> and it came to me as, as bringing me to another level, that there was really love in that. And that, again, love spelled backwards is evolve. It's the beginning mm -hmm. of evolve and that it was wanting me to evolve into a higher state of fearlessness, which I really felt like I accomplished. Uh, that's also why I called my book Bliss, because it started from a state of bliss, and I call it One Hero's Journey, which is the Joseph Campbell, um, mm. his paradigm, although he calls it the hero's journey. But what I realized is we are all heroes, all the people I was out there with who had deadly cancer, they were all terminal, every single one of us. Um, they, we are all heroes on this journey. And so we are just, each one of us is one of the heroes on the journey. And when we make our heroic journey, we bring other heroes up and help them on their journey. So as Anita helped me, I have now helped other people on their journey. So I believe that's kind of how it, that's what she meant about the tapestry. It, yes. it weaves. The intricate in, web. 
intricate. Yes. And beautiful. it's cyclic as well. Absolutely. Well, what a beautiful service you're doing, doing to others, really. I have to congratulate you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank I'm interested so much. to ask how, obviously you've spoken about it, but how have you changed? Has your personality changed? Has your ways of doing and seeing changed since your experience? Completely. Completely. And I will say, um, even though my outer life, like where I live, how I work, what I do has not changed really at all. Uh, physically, uh, everything about my way of interacting has completely changed, completely shifted. In these last five years, I don't even feel like that person that I was before even is alive. I yeah. do feel in a sense like I died. I didn't, but I do feel like that old person died and this person walked in. That's how it feels to me. I get it. I get it. We have these life challenges and major experiences and we, we do have a certain death and, and a rebirth as well. And a rebirth as well. And let's face it. I mean, every day, you know, it has a death, a sunset, it, it goes down into night and then it has a rebirth. Mm. And that's really, I really got that. I really got that. And I, I, everything now has shifted the way I am with people, uh, the interactions with people, uh, every, everything, my work, um, everything completely went in a brand new direction. Interesting. This, and this, now my next question is probably just a very materialistic perhaps question, but when you felt that the death was certain, what were the things in this humanness you thought you'd miss the most? Really the interaction with people. Mm. the 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 ability to um be in communication with people and again through my opera singing i was also a voice teacher for many many years then an alexander teacher which really has to do with contact as well i would have missed that i think the ability to have physical uh contact uh, and and vocal contact with another real being, I I think that's what I would have missed the most. What a beautiful answer! I Thank loved you. it. I've asked all the questions now. I mean, I have more. But is there something you'd really like to talk to the Passion Harvest audience about? To to really, whenever you're facing an adversity of any kind, I, I don't care what it is, and. Uh, uh, and some people who have contacted me who have lost children uh, who died of a very uh, hideous cancer, that there is uh, a gift of love coming through it at all times, at all times, but it can be nearly impossible to see. But what you have to do for the, for the, and um, especially uh, the people that come to mind are the ones that lost children. You have to work, you have to work to unmask it, to uncloud it, to remove the veils of the love, the gift of love that's coming through this, even though that child is dying and will die. And you will honor them in the doing of it. You will honor 
anyone or anything in the doing of it, even if it's your own disease or your own cancer, if you can unmask and, and, and show the love that's under it, you will be a blessing to all. Whether you stay on this plane or not is irrelevant. It's irrelevant, truly. I truly believe that. Mm. That was beautiful. Thank you for answering that question so beautifully and profoundly. Oh, I always, <laughs> Gary, I always like to ask the guests at the end of the show, and this ties into everything that we're talking about and living a full life. If someone's looking to discover or follow their passions, what is your advice? Always become very quiet with the reasons that you want to follow that, it. And if they have anything to do with materialism, anything at all, or some concept of some kind of fame or security or any of those things that are connected to the ego, rethink it. Rethink it. I have to tell this to my cancer people all the time because remember, uh, a lot of them are afraid to voice what they would like to do, what they wouldn't like to do. They're afraid because they don't want to hurt their loved ones. Uh, I know I, I lost a lot of friends when I met, went to Mexico. There were a lot of people who were very upset with me, very angry. And they uh, threatened me. I mean, really threatened me and said, we will, I will never talk to you again. And they didn't. Wow. And they didn't. Because they thought my decision was uh, cavalier. It was uh, ridiculous. It was uh, me being, you know, just, just a, a, a fool, a complete fool. And I knew I needed to follow this through my way. And what I find with so many people is they, they don't do it because they're, they're worried about what other people will think or the material aspects or the money or the this or the that. They, they get all involved with all of these things. And that's the only thing I would say. Make sure you're really doing it because you truly know to the depth of your heart and soul that that's what you need to do. And I will tell you, you will be victorious. You will absolutely be victorious. Beautiful, beautiful. Be utterly truthful and be you, I guess, really, is what it comes mm -hmm. down to. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. What a beautiful conversation, Gary Ramsey. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. I've loved so the cool. insights and the ins what an inspiration you are to so many. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you again for having me. I just, I'm so honored and so thrilled to be here. It's a pleasure. And anyone that's looking for your book, and I'll put in the show notes all the things we've talked about so people yeah. can look below. <laughs> that's <Thanks>. right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Gary. Bye. You're welcome, Bye-bye now. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.